heads up, because you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. Coming up this edition, as Major League Baseball one's hottest teams suddenly cooled off. Look at the curious case since they read and why they dropped from first to second in the NL Central. And we ate summer intrigue from the Summer League finale players will be here and there, the deals that could and not been done. They look in depth. The NFL might be preparing for a horror show starring John Gruden. Chucky's Last Revenge? Curious case of John Gruden and his battle with the NFL. We'll take a look at that. We'll have some quick takes, fat dab, head slap, look with high five, Tell where the destinations of Dane Lillard could be. And of course, tons of takes, stats, information, it's virtual cornucopia. But it's Punch the Hoodwood. When you crash helmet and broke your seatbelts, let's go. I've just been busy as all get out. I don't want to put out a half-assed product, so kind of explains kind of a gap in, in during the summer because I'm so busy. If you're listening on podcast, no matter what platform, I appreciate your patronage. Welcome. If you're watching me on YouTube, you get to see graphics, you get to see more of the commercials, and you get to see pretty much everything else. But regardless of how you're tuning into the show, smash the like button, subscribe. Your patronage is very much welcome. Let's lead off the show with the MLB's hottest team, or at least at one time. The last time we got together, Cincinnati Reds were unquestionably the Major League Baseball's hottest team. They ran their winning streak to a dozen games and in the process pushed their way into the forefront of the National League Central League. Then they ran into the Braves. The Braves cooled them off, winning two of three before packed houses at Great American Ballpark. Shrugging it off over the 4th of July, they knocked around the Nationals, took two of three from the Padres, and then ran into Milwaukee. Bit of a problem. The Brewers, while lacking a lot of star power beyond Christian Yelich, is a very, very good team. And the Brewers took two of three before the All-Star break. After the All-Star break, the Reds and the Brewers faced off again. Now, when the schedule makers made this ske- the uh, schedule between the Reds and the Brewers, I don't think they really thought that it was going to be these two teams battling it out for first place over six games. Well, to the chagrin of many Cincinnati fans over the 
past weekend at Great American Ballpark, the Brewers took all three games, and the Reds went from two up a week ago on Saturday when they last won, when they defeated the Brewers 8-5 in at AmFam Field in Milwaukee, to being two behind the Brewers after the Brewers have won the last four head-to-head meetings with the Reds. Taking the last game one to nothing going into the All-Star break, then turning around and winning another one to nothing game, the fr- first game after the All-Star break, turning another shutout. So the Brewers pitched three consecutive shutouts. And I went to the game on Saturday between the Reds and the Brewers, and to my utter disgust, the Reds only managed one hit. One hit after the Brewers struck out 13 batters the night before. The Reds' punchless, suddenly punchless offense has dried up and withered away on the vine. The Reds scored three runs in the three-game series against the Brewers. All those runs coming on Sunday when they jumped out to a lead, but managed to uh, squander that and lose again. Brewers taking all three games and now have a two-game lead, as of this taping, in the National League Central. The Brewers pitched three straight shutouts for the the, the third time in team history. The Brewers have been around since 1970. Three consecutive shutouts. On the road. Well, two of them were on the road. The last game being the Sunday before the All-Star break in Milwaukee and the first two in Cincinnati. Don't blame the crowds. The uh, Great American Ballpark holds about 42,000. And for all three games, the attendance was robust. 112,340 for the three-game series. And getting 41, 39, and 30 for that weekend series. Now, that has boosted the Reds' fortunes once lagging in attendance. They're now 10th out of 15 teams in the NL. The Reds drew robust crowds for the Braves series. Over 125,000 jammed in the Great American Ballpark. All three game sellouts, the first three consecutive sellouts regular season sellouts, I should say, in Great American Ballpark's 20-year history. We followed that up with another weekend series against the Padres, where they drew a little over 100,000. So the, the 31% of their attendance for the 2023 season have been in the past three series. Now, this is a young, exciting team to watch. The emphasis on young. There are a lot of, this team starts three rookies and a couple of players who are in the second year. You have some players like Will Benson who are journeymen, but have found a home in Cincinnati, all led by the venerable veteran Joey Votto, who is enjoying his 16th season as the de facto captain of the Reds. That being said, the pitching has firmed up some. It's been kind of a weak link for the Reds, giving up nine runs total over the last four games, but their hitting has been abysmal. Being shut out three times in four games and only scoring three runs over their last four games. The Reds have dropped in the second. Now, they are playing with house money. I've said that from the jump. The Reds 
are doing way, way better than anybody ever expected them to do. The Reds won 62 games last year. They're 50 and 44 as of this taping. You know how long it took them to win 50 games last year? Late August. We're in mid-July. Mid-late July. And the Reds are still hanging around, playing better than a lot of people, yours truly included, expected them to do. Now, I said I didn't think they would make the playoffs, and I will still hold true to that. I still think they will hang around enough to make the Brewers sweat and make other National League teams worry a little bit, but I don't think a playoff spot is in the cards for the Reds this year. Next year, expectations are going to be super high. Could the Reds fulfill it? With this kind of young talent, I won't bet against them. Now, I'm not one big for the Summer League. I mean, I know it's a big way for promising rookies and other kind of hangers-on to try to latch on to specific teams, maybe get a G League contract, maybe uh, get a 10-day deal, something of that nature. Uh, the Cavaliers are on their way to winning the Sunset Summer League, uh, knocking off the Rockets, who I think their Summer League team might be able to beat their regular NBA team. But that's another story. This is the NBA silly season, as I like to say it, because there are a lot of teams and players and deals and could-be deals and would-be deals. Now, the big story, of course, is Damian Lillard. The uh, disgruntled guard for the Blazers has made his intentions known that he wants to be traded. Now, the Blazers is becoming... Um, coming close to Embiid's. Uh, oh, I said Embiid. I'm looking at Joel Embiid on this on my screen. Try that again. Lillard is set to be a free agent at the end of the 23-24 season. The Blazers are trying to figure out what they can do to deal Lillard before he walks, because that ship has sailed. Lillard is not going to stay in Portland. He has given enough to the Blazers, and the Blazers have not given enough back to him. So, Dane Lillard wants to go to a contender. Now, there are five teams I think that he could go to. Ah, that's foreshadowing. I'm not going to give them to you now. That's what would have five. But there are other stories, possibilities, intrigue, as I call it, the NBA Summer Intrigue. Now, now, I, I mentioned, mentioned Joel Embiid as I stumbled over my words earlier. Joel Embiid might be on his way out of Philly. The rumors have been bouncing around that Joel Embiid is not happy in Philly and is thinking that he may need to push to another team that has a better title shot. Now, the Sixers have been a perennial playoff team over the last five to six years. The problem is they can't get out of the second round. Now, to be fair, Kawhi Leonard's 60,000 bounces on the rim in Toronto 
couple of years, a few years back, that sent a good Sixers team home after a thrilling seven-game series. That has been the closest the Sixers have been to the conference finals. We're not even talking about the NBA finals. We're talking about the conference finals. And Joel Embiid, who, fresh off of an MVP season, is starting to make rumbles. He wants to go elsewhere. If the Sixers cannot put the requisite pieces around him to win a title, he would like to go somewhere else. And it says, quote, he wants to win a championship, whatever it takes. And you wonder, what will it take to keep Joel Embiid happy? A trade for a shooting guard, a playmaking guard, Ben Simmons, but someone who can facilitate and get him the ball. The Sixers played their best ball when they had Jimmy Butler running the point. Jimmy Butler's in Miami. Jimmy Butler's not leaving Miami. Could Joel Embiid go to Miami? I don't know. But he is becoming more and more disgruntled. Now, other teams have made moves to acquire players. Surprisingly, the Mavericks decided to keep Kyrie Irving, or did Kyrie Irving decide to stay? He want to stay in Dallas. I'm not sure. But that whole shit show is going to be its own. Just because you don't, you know that Kyrie and Luca are not going to be able to get along offensively. I mean, the little short sample size we had. Showed how disastrous this team, this combination can be. But, absent of any other suitors for the recalcitrant star, Kyrie Irving stayed in Dallas. Bradley Beal was traded to the Suns. Does this make them the team to beat in the West? The Suns have so much potential. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal... The, 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 the list goes on and on. This is a good, solid, hungry team. But you wonder if there are enough balls to go around in Phoenix. You wonder if they can have the kind of cohesion that's going to be able to stand up to 82 games. Not to mention if Kevin Durant can stay healthy for 82 games. Well, I think the, the, the Suns would be happy if they, if they get him 55. Do enough low management to get them to the playoffs. Now, there's been some also crazy draft. There was some crazy draft day deals that went down. Kristaps Wazingas going to Boston. Mark Smart going to Memphis. CP3 being dealt to the dubs. All of this moving and shifting is why I call it the silly season. But you know who stayed put? Despite all of his big, bold talk that he might go somewhere else, Draymond Green. For all of Draymond Green's yipping and yapping, he's no fool. He knows if he left East Bay, well, I should can't call it East Bay anymore because the Warriors don't play in East Bay anymore. They play in Frisco. But had Draymond Green left the Bay, his numbers, his influence, his stature would have went so far down he would have been irrelevant within a year, maybe two it would have been like, 
Draymond Green, is he still in this league? But the point being is, Draymond Green signed a fairly big contract with Dubs, stays in Frisco. But for all of Draymond Green's big talk, he wasn't going nowhere. Once they got rid of Jordan Poole, Draymond Green was like, man, I'm putting another year's lease on it, uh, signature for another year's lease in the Bay. I ain't going nowhere. He knew it, and the Dubs knew it. Let's take a first time out. Come back with the horror movie that the NFL might be facing. John Gruden might be prepared to spill the beans on a lot of subjects. Could this be Chucky's last revenge and House of Horror for the NFL? Got a lot covered, a lot of ground to cover. Sports from the hood with I'm back at you after this. Lies in last minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gotogetmarriednow.com. You are tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for opinion, analysis, and insight on the world of sports. Here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and 4 Canadian provinces, and not to mention Guam. Your host, KJ Green. You're back in the Hoodwood. I'm KJ Green. And no, Snuffy, we're not talking about horror movies. Dog thinks we're talking about actual horror movies. Because I said something about Chucky, but never mind. Full disclosure, I've never been a John Gruden fan. I've always thought him an overrated blowhard who thinks way too much of himself and is vimacing. Just his persona rubs me the wrong way. I've always thought him kind of a whiny, sniveling, wannabe bully than a cutting edge coach. More of the Chucky persona, a nickname I heard he actually hates than a tough-as-nails type that always try to pass himself off as. He won in Oakland with the Raiders. You know, he built a team that was perpetually sorry in the 90s to a pretty decent team in the early 2000s, but given a chance to jump to a better team, he did it. I still say that that chip he won with the Bucks was built on the long work of revered coach Tony Dungy, who was pushed out unceremoniously by management and aided by the curious play-calling of his one-time offensive coordinator Bill Callahan in Oakland, who suspiciously just called all the same plays with the same terminology, and John Gruden basically told his team that's what they were going to call. Either way, Gruden wore out his welcome in Tampa and was an annoying broadcaster on the Monday night package for a number of years. He got back into the coaching game with the Raiders, who had already transplanted Vegas, and had done little in the 16 years since Gruden had left. And Gruden had been cut out of coaching for nine years before he jumped back in with the Vegas Raiders. Gruden's second stint with the Raiders was unremarkable, fairly pedestrian, 22 and 31 in three plus seasons in Vegas. Now, in the middle of his fourth season, 
Gruden had the Raiders at 3-2 and two when it was discovered a series of highly toxic emails had been found allegedly leaked by Commander's owner Dan Snyder that contained a host of misogynistic, homophobic, and racist slurs which were aimed at NFL Commissioner uh, uh, Roger Goodell, then NFL PA head uh, DeMora Smith, then Vice President Joe Biden, and the first openly gay NFL player, Michael Sam. Now, these emails were reported by the New York Times, and Gruden resigned under heavy pressure from the Raiders management soon after. Now, Snyder was forced to sell the commanders at a hefty price, and did so at a very hefty price, over $6 billion in a sale that was just approved just recently. But his plan of trying to get in the good, NFL's good graces with those emails apparently backfired. Now, Gruden has, in, has announced his intent to sue the NFL and Roger Goodell and has been threatening to expose their secrets in a, in a lengthy and protracted court battle. Now, is this a battle that the NFL wants? Oh, no. I mean, Roger Goodell is one of the more powerful men in sports, without question, one of the most po most powerful men in professional football. Demora Smith, who many people have openly criticized for being buddy buddy, a little too buddy buddy, with NFL and management. Dan Snyder, who tried to get in the NFL's good graces by leaking, if you want to call it, which he and a lot of his attorneys and management and people close to him have all furiously denied that he was not the source of the leak, even though it was kind of weird that the New York Times got a hold of this, The Athletic got a hold of it, Roger Goodell got a almost a gift because him and John Gruden were highly antagonistic to one another. They were not by any means the best of friends. But it's awful suspicious that these leaks came out at just the right time to oust Gruden. Now, Snyder was trying to do what he could do with his, with John Gruden's buddy, uh, General Manager Bruce Allen, who at one time worked for the Washington franchise, but then was on the outs with Snyder. There were a, there's a lot of he said she said, but the the point of the whole investigation, the whole situation, are these some six hundred and fifty thousand emails that were correspondence between Gruden, Bruce Allen, and a number of other people in the Washington franchise. Now. Snyder, who was in the middle of his own toxic uh, environment, workplace investigations, why he was on the outs with the NFL at the time to begin with, all of these emails and all of these this correspondence have this interfabric, interwoven fabric of just this jocularity, this... Um, Trying to think of the, the 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 whole chauvinistic type of attitude. It's just an old boys club that was 
very nasty, very homophobic, very racist. I mean, I've seen some of the things that have been described in this, and I'm not going to repeat them on these airwaves. But in, in an individual sense, they would get somebody in a lot of trouble. The number, the sheer volume of these emails is enough to get somebody made felina non grata, cat not welcome, in a lot of circumstances. And with the NFL, you know the NFL highly uh, conscious of protecting the shield. They're not going to stand for that kind of bad pub. And they basically gave Goodell the license to tell Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, and you got to get rid of this dude for real quickly. Gruden was bounced out quickly. He was in the middle of a 10-year, $70 million contract. I don't know if it was he was fired for cause and didn't get all of his money. I don't know. It's one of those things. A lot of the details were kept on the hush. Gruden was, was escorted out quickly. The Raiders played decent. They made the playoffs, lost to the Bengals uh, in the wild card round that, that year. Gruden has done a little side work tutoring uh, uh, assisting Dennis Allen, who was a uh, assistant coach under him at one time with the Raiders, and tutoring Derek Carr. But John Gruden's not going to coach anywhere in the professional ranks anymore. He's probably not going to get back into broadcasting. His attitude of, I'm going to get people for this, is very apparent. And this is, like I said, is a ticking time bomb for the NFL because if John Gruden starts talking he could really expose what a lot of people have always rumored things to be happening in the NFL it could certainly put Roger Goodell in a bad light and it would definitely put a lot take a lot of luster off of the NFL shield something that many people work so diligently and earnestly to protect now, this is just the beginning. Stay tuned. It, this could get ugly and this could get bumpy, but the hood will be, be right there to report the things that are going on with that. Let's take a time out and come back with more NFL. We're going to be taking a look at summer camp. Take a look at the Eastern divisions of both the AFC and the NFC. Take a look at what's going on with that. Sports with Bluewood comes back at you after this. I'm actor Rajim A. Gross. Some of the studios would like to scan our images and only pay us for one day's worth of work and be able to use our likenesses, our voices, our mannerisms as computer-generated characters, not only in the movie that we might be filming in, but in all future films as well. That's not fair. And I think the SAG board members that are fighting for my rights as an actor to work on a union film. So I just want to say standing in complete solidarity with everyone. Thank you.
tune in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, K.J. Green. Okay, now that we're through with that horror show, let's do some quick takes on items here and there that, I, that come across my desk or things that I read and see and go, hmm. I wonder what, what the temperature and pulse is on that. Our first quick take is Leo Messi being in Miami. Now, does this make them a real contender in the MLS? Seeing that Inter-Miami's at the bottom of the East Table, way down on the East Table, light years away from a playoff berth. But can Leo Messi save the day and push this otherwise unremarkable team at least into the playoff picture. His tickets for in for Miami's games are big number, big dollar, high dollar events. Uh, it, the uh, Miami and LA Ga- Galaxy were set to play here uh, later in July when the the day before those tickets went on uh, before Messi signed with Miami. Those tickets went for about $15. They're worth $1,500 now. We already know that Messi's making an impact in the box office, but can he make an impact with team itself? Should Reggie Bush be, our next quick take is, should Reggie Bush be giving his Heisman back? Reggie Bush, of course, being the USC back who won the Heisman Trophy with an incredible 2005 season, part of uh, USC, the defending national champions, getting all the way to the national championship again. But Bush has been scrubbed from the USC records and was ordered to give his Heisman back after it was learned that he had been taken, that USC had orchestrated payments for his parents to live in a domicile closer to their son, which at the time was a no-no. Now, with NIL deals all over the place and players making some, not all of them, but some football players making the seven figures before even getting on the field, the paltry $300,000 that uh, Reggie Bush's family allegedly got seems like a pittance. With the game being the way it is now and what a deal that Reggie Bush's family might have been able to make then or been able to make it now is now not illegal. Do you think that Reggie Bush should have his Heisman back? Drop me a line. Give me some of your opinions. I hate going into politics. I really do. I I really hate talking about politics on this show because this is a safe space where we can all talk about sports and use that as, you know, be able to put our minds off of the real world. But sometimes politics does cross over in the hoodwood. And I was deeply disturbed seeing uh, Rand Paul, the uh, erstwhile senator from Kentucky, uh, calling basketball players with NIL deals quote-unquote rap stars, driving Bentleys and Rolls Royces. Last time I saw any player who's making any kind of money off of NIL deal, he wasn't driving a Bentley or a Rolls. He's actually was driving a Jeep 
but that's because he did a deal with the local automobile establishment. Rand Paul, with his veiled, thin remarks, blowing the racist whistles, dog whistles, and tropes, really needs to check his position and learn something about NIL deals. Also, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has been trying to lobby Congress during the SEC media days in Atlanta this week to create some sort of legislation that would regulate NIL deals. What I think that a lot of these big wigs in college sports are afraid of is that players, student athletes, if you want to call them that, are being able to cut their own deals to make their own money and are becoming less beholden to the multi-million dollar coaches that you are seeing that have had for so long the I am God mentality. I can I hold your career in my hand. If you don't do exactly as I want you to do, you will never make a dime in football and you'll be shoveling shit out of the back of a horse parlor for the next 20 years. But now players have options. They can get money before they even set foot on a, on a uh, football field. And big wigs like Sankey don't like that. They want Congress to start throwing out laws that are basically going to rein, uh, they think, rein in these arrogant moneyed players. It's not going to happen. The genie has been left out of the bottle. You cannot put the sand back on, back in. It's not going to happen. Well, did we see a passing of the torch um, in Wimbledon just this past weekend? Carlos Alacraz knocking off tennis legend Novak Djokovic 1667613664 in a four hour, 42 minute epic. At Wimbledon in the finals this past Sunday, Alcaraz is 20 and has won his second major um, in knocking off Djokovic, who is a living legend and has won plenty of Wimbledon titles, but could not stand up under the withering pressure of the 20-year-old Alcaraz. That is going to be a young man to watch. The Spaniard has already won two majors and could very well win a third when the next major, the U.S. Open, convenes up Flushing Meadow late August, early September. Stay tuned. No deals for some of the NFL's top running backs, Saquon Barkley, uh, Josh Jacobs, are two of the players, running backs, that did not get deals at the 4 o'clock deadline for signing tenders, it, the tag players are going to make money. Uh, you know, Tony Pollard making $10.1 million under the franchise tag. The Cowboys let Zeke Elliott go in favor of Tony Pollard. Both being one of three teams with star running backs who are disgruntled. Saquon Barkley has hinted that he may not play in week one 
if he is forced to play under the franchise tag, which players do not like being franchise tagged. Yes, they'll get the average of the top five of that position, but they feel like it restricts their movement. And running backs are such a dime a dozen commodity and they wear out so fast. Gone are the days that you've seen running backs play 12, 13, 14, 15 years. Most running backs, most top-notch running backs, four, five, maybe six. You don't see most running backs sign the big, huge deals like quarterbacks or wide receivers do because running backs especially in this type of the day and age where offenses run not infrequently, but they use a running back and use them up pretty quickly. Are they, these players suddenly expendable to these teams, to the uh, Barkley with the Giants, Pollard with the Polks, and Josh Jacobs with the Raiders? Are they suddenly expendable? It's a point to ponder. What do you think of last week's All-Star game? I watched the end of it. Pretty pretty decent game. The uh, National League breaking a American League eight-game winning streak. What do you think of those uniforms? I hated those uniforms. Hated it. I love seeing the All-Star teams play in their respective jerseys. Games in American League Park. Teams like the Twins, Mariners, the Yankees should have been in their home whites with the National League teams wearing, I would say, some variants of a road, uh, a road team, a road uh, jersey. But they had these weird aqua and gray colored uniforms that made no sense and didn't celebrate Major League Baseball. If you look at these players... With these uniforms, if you didn't see their team, you would know what player from what. Is he can't tell them without a scorecard? No, you couldn't tell them without their uniform numbers. It just makes no sense. Those quick takes. Let's take another time out. Come back and we will look at the East. I say that in both one plural of the NFL, AFC East and the NFC East, who I think will do what and where. Sportsman Liquid comes back at you at this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. Yeah. Make sure that 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 segment come come what? Dog needs to stay out of the street. I'm actor Rajim Agros. Some of the 
studios would like to scan our images and only pay us for one day's worth of work and be able to use our likenesses, our voices, our mannerisms as computer-generated characters, not only in the movie that we might be filming in, but in all future films as well. That's not fair. And I thank the SAG board members that are fighting for my rights as an actor to work on a union film. So I just want to say, standing in complete solidarity with everyone, thank you. premier destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact checks, your host, KJ Green. You're back in the Hoodwood, and Snuffy likes being in the east, the Hoodwood's east side. Guess the high rents are better there. But, let's talk about camp. Summer camp. Hoodwood summer camp. Now, we're not making any friendship bracelets or teaching how to swim or do archery. Not like the stuff they used to do at the old Camp Kikiapi Kitty Camp that I used to go to back in the day. But I'm referring to summer camps as in previews of NFL, which the 2023 season is just over the horizon. You can kind of see a glimmer of it coming. But in the eight-week interim... Before the summer camps conclude, we will talk about the teams and how I think they're going to finish. I'm going to do it in uh, divisional packages. This week we'll do both AFC and NFC Easts. Uh, we'll do the Northern Divisions next week, uh, South Divisions in two weeks, and in three weeks we will do the Western Divisions of both AFC and NFC. So... And based on my predictions, this is the way I think the Easts will shape out. We'll start with AFC. Based on my predictions, we'll start out with Buffalo, the defending AFC East champ, who have so many questions. Are the Bills' window starting to close? Now, while Josh Allen is a definitely a top-tier quarterback, it seems that Stephon Diggs is grumbling, as usual. But the questions about stellar but aging defense is starting to creep up in thinking with high power in the division and in the conference, running in place may actually be a step back. Our second place team, based on my predictions, are the New York Jets. Now the Jets got a shiny new toy in Aaron Rodgers and many think that may make them a bona fide contender. Not only the division, but also the conference. Now, the fast, improving defense, led by the irrepressible Sauce Gardner, former Bearcat, will cause problems for opposing offensive units. But how far can Rodgers carry the offense with the puny running game? Our team that Hood would pick to finish third is the Miami Dolphins. It's clock running out 
on Tua Tagovailoa. The main pundits think that the Dolphins are running out of patience with the erstwhile third-year quarterback already. He took the Finns to the playoffs, but his inconsistency may have caused the Dolphins an upset win on the road in Buffalo in the wildcard game. Now, Tua and Tyreek Hill will cause many a headache for opposing defenses, but the defense may just give back as many points as offense scores. You never thought you'd ever say it, but in our pick for fourth place is New England. The Patriots, a last place team. The knock is growing on Bill Belichick about him actually being able to win with all everything wannabe GOAT Tom Brady. Now, as his memory fades into the historical ether, Belichick is left with the hard reality of Mac Jones and him being nowhere near the capable capabilities of the future Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Famer in a deep division like the AFC East and a deep conference like the AFC. That's a real problem. Now let's shift over to the NFC and look at the East Division here, whom I think in order of Hoodwood predictions. Of course, we start out with the Philadelphia Eagles, who came three points away from winning their second Super Bowl in six years. They lost that back-and-forth Super Bowl to the Chiefs. Now have to face trying to get back while the window is still wide open. Jalen Hurts proved he was ready for prime time. And as long as he has his health, I see no reason why the Eagles can still be the big dog in this division and conference. And the second-place team I have, based on my predictions, are the New York Giants. Yes, the Giants, fast improving. They got a lot further to expect last season. And with the fast during Daniel Jones at the helm, prospects look rather bright. As long as Saquon Barkley stays happy and healthy, the G-Men should be a factor in this division. Tell the Bruiser is making noise at holding out, though, if he's forced to play under the franchise tag. A slow start would not bode well. Stay tuned. Our pick third in the NFC East, Dallas Cowboys. Now it's getting to be the same old story for the Pokes. They play good the regular season. The fans get their hackles up and begin getting noisy. And then they crumble in the playoffs. Considering that my oldest daughter has never seen the Dallas Cowboys in an NFC title game in her lifetime, that's a bit of a problem vexing for Dallas Cowboy fans who are getting real impatient with Dak Prescott despite having oodles of talent on both sides of the ball, they just cannot seem to close the deal. And finishing in fourth place in the NFC East, per my predictions, of the Washington Commanders. Then I did show improvement here and there, but a 1-4 start combined with a 1-3-1 finish doomed them to a last place finish and kept them out of contention. This year they still have way too many questions on both sides of the ball, to be a real factor in this ruggedly deep division. Will new ownership show patience with coach that Ron Rivera is trying to rebuild after decades of dysfunction? Under Dan Snyder, stay tuned. This could be an interesting show. There you have it, at least for the Eastern divisions of the NFL. Next week we will preview the North. Take a final time out, come back with Fat Gap. 
head slap, the Hoodwood Hot Five. Five destinations that I think could be in play for Dame Lillard, as well as the final word from the wood. Switching the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this. up strong with the hoodwood hot five fat dab head slap and the final word from the wood let's start out with the hoodwood hot five and usually it's a topic that i have a top five on or five instances of anything this week's topic where does now blazers guard damian lillard head to here's five teams that i think would be most Interested in the longtime guard services, we'll start with LA at number five. Everyone talks about how the Lakers are the wild card team here, but I'm not sure that the Lakers have the capital to send to Portland, and I really don't think that the Blazers would want to trade Lillard to a hated, longtime hated rival. At number four, we have Phoenix. Well, but the same thing goes here. The Suns have Bradley Beal and KD and Devin Booker. Could be the West powerhouse if they got the Blazers to trade Dame Lillard. But you wonder what kind of price that the Blazers would want in return. And would the Suns be willing or able to give that kind of capital up? And you also wonder would the Blazers be willing to trade Dame Lillard to a divisional rival. My thinking is probably not. And number three, you have Washington, an intriguing, an intriguing Eastern team. 
but what would they be willing to give up to get Dane? And do they have that kind of capital that they want? At number two, you have, am I reading this right? The Boston Celtics. This is a wild card team here. And they've been wheeling and dealing pretty much all summer. And you wonder, would they be willing to give up newly acquired Kristaps Porzingis, who has suddenly become very, very well traveled, but would they be willing to give him up to get a playmaking guard to work with Jason Tatum? It's an intriguing thought. And of course, the number one team that I think that Dame Lillard will be going to or could be going to is Miami. Now, this is been Lillard's preferred spot that he has told his agent to tell other teams that that's the team that he wants to go to. That being said, what would Miami have to give up to get Dame Lillard? And you think that would be a fascinating backcourt. Jimmy Butler and Dame Lillard playing off of one another. They're in unselfish types of... Um, ball could play very well off of one another. But you also have to wonder are there enough basketballs in the backcourt to satisfy both Butler and Lillard who really want to have the ball in their hands as much as possible, if not at all times. That being said, Lillard has expressed openly that he wants to go to Miami. Now, will he hold out the whole season and say, trade me to Miami or nothing, or I'm going to walk as a free agent? The Blazers GM has said repeatedly that the cost to obtain Lillard during the regular season will be high. What team do you think is going to pull the trigger? And is that going to be a quick trade? Something's going to happen before the season? Or are the Blazers going to drag it out as much as possible? Bringing as much concessions as they can from possible trade partners to try to weaken them and strengthen their own team at the same time. It's an interesting position to be in, and I would want to be Dame Lillard because the stress of having to move and knowing that this may happen suddenly would take an awful toll on all but the strongest minds. That's my high five. What's yours? And now our fat dap head slap of the week. Our fat dap goes to Dante Corleone, the burly defensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bearcats, who got a uh, name, image, likeness, um, endorsement deal with a local eatery. You got a, uh, one for a sandwich called the Godfather Burger. Yes, Dante Corleone is nicknamed the Godfather for the Bearcats. Now, the restaurant, which is called Bucketheads, is on the west side of Cincinnati. And I had an opportunity last week to sample said Godfather Burger picture. And yes, it looks very yummy. Beef brisket, barbecue sauce, American cheese to get topped with an onion ring on a brioche bun. To quote Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction, that was a tasty burger. Very good. And 
I like the NIL deals that are very, you know, just simple. $2 for every sale of the Godfather uh, bird goes directly to Dante. Fat Dap to Corleone and to Bucketheads coming together for a winning combination. Our head slap of the week goes to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, a few weeks ago on Father's Day, they had Charlie Colbertson, uh, one of their um, utility players, to be able to throw a first, he receive a first pitch from Charlie Colbertson, his father, who was a major leaguer in the 70s and 80s. The Braves designated Colbertson for a assignment. Basically, they were waiving him from the team after they had to acquire another catcher because one of their catchers went down with an injury. They decided to designate for assignment for Charlie Corporson on Father's Day when his dad was supposed to throw him the first pitch. So they scrubbed the first pitch and had Michael Harris throw to his dad. You'd think they could have waited till the end of the game or at least after the first pitch. Head slap to Atlanta Braves for just ruining a player's day and his Father's Day. Now, without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. Pat Fitzgerald and Bob Huggins are more like than you would think. From the first glance, they both are fiery, passionate coaches for their respective alma maters. Fitzgerald at Northwestern, Huggins at West Virginia. Both beloved stewards of the sport they played at said school and as of today, both have been pushed out of said coaching jobs in disgrace. As you can see from the background, I am a Bearcat. My love affair with the school started before I even started attending the school. My first sporting event at the University of Cincinnati, it was a thrilling basketball game in which the Bearcats won on a buzzer beater. The game christened the new uh, campus arena and was the maiden victory for the new coach, the former coach Akron, Bob Huggins. I followed the team with a passion and liked the fiery young coach. I started at UC in 1990 and my fandom grew exponentially. I became a writer at the school paper and in time became a beat writer for the basketball team. I was lucky enough to be able to interview Huggins for a number of pieces that I wrote and be at a number of practices. After I graduated, I went from writer back to fan, but I still held Huggins in high regard and as well as fervently devoted to the Bearcats, which I continue to be to this day. After a noted role with university, then university president Nancy Zimfer, Huggins left the program in 2005. Now, this wasn't Without cause, Huggins had caught the DUI case in 2004, was suspended from the team for two months, and was ordered to seek rehab. Also, the renewable rollover clause in his four-year contract was taken away. A couple of months after the Bearcats were defeated by Kentucky in the 2005 NCAA tournament, Huggins resigned after the rollover was not reinstated into his contract and he was given a 24-hour ultimatum to take a $3 million buyout or be reassigned outside the athletic department or be fired had he not responded in the 24-hour period. Many Cincinnati fans, including myself, were bitter at Zimfer 
for having run off the bluff. Coach, and felt that it would hurt the program. In hindsight, Huggins knew he was going to be pushed out weeks before his ouster, as was shown in correspondence between his attorneys and the university. Huggins' 399 wins are most in school history. In the short term, Huggins' ouster did hurt the program, as Bearcats would not return to the NCAA tournament for five years. But Huggins would land on his feet quickly, becoming first the coach of Kansas State Wildcats in 2006, stole players they recruited from UC, and after a single season in Manhattan, he then returned to his alma mater in West Virginia to become the head coach there. He had turned down overtures to come there in 2002, while still coaching Cincinnati, to follow Gil Catlett, who had also ironically left UC to coach West Virginia. Huggins was held as a Mountaineer head coach, second only to Catlett, as revered as a Native son that came home. He won 345 games as Mountaineer head coach, second only to Catlett. He coached the Mountaineers to the 2010 Final Four and was considered institution at Morgantown. But late in his career, cracks began to show. His 2023 team went 19-15, though they made the NCAA tournament for the 11th time in his tenure, but quickly bounced out the round of 64. Huggins was never able to duplicate his success at Cincinnati, where his teams never finished lower than fourth in the conference. Huggins' teams never finished first in their conference and won only one conference tournament. All this is a prelude of what was to come. After the 2023 season, Huggins was on air at a Cincinnati radio station and made homophobic and anti-gay comments about Xavier, Cincinnati's fierce rival in hoops. The comments were widely decried, and Huggins was uh, docked $1 million in salary by West Virginia. Then, almost ironically, 19, almost 19 years to the day he caught the DUI case in, Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati area, Huggins was cited for a DUI in Pittsburgh. After being observed in a black SUV with a shredded tire and driver's side door open, he was told to move the vehicle to the side of the road, but was unable to follow simple directions. He then blew a .21 blood alcohol content, which is almost three times the legal limit in Pennsylvania. He failed field sobriety tests and could not tell police officers where he was. Huggins then tendered his resignation as coach of West Virginia late the next day and announced he was retiring from coaching. Now this is a sad, sad coda for a coach that was just elected to the College Basketball Hall of Fame this past September and was widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the business. He took criticism at Cincinnati for allegedly not graduating players, but maybe his players did graduate, just though in longer periods of the four years that were stipulated on the guidelines of the NCAA. Many of these same players have been very vocal and vociferous in their defense of Huggins. And in full disclosure, I had an opportunity to interview Huggins a number of times and when he was at UC, and I did think highly of him. That said, I am highly disappointed they let his career come to this. After catching that case, that DUI case in 2004, which eventually ended up costing his job at Cincinnati, you would think he would be a lot more careful. To be honest, he is too old to be catching DUI cases and especially being out on such thin ice. After the radio faux pas, you would think he would know better than to do something 
as dangerous as drinking and driving. Huggins said in a, statement that he, in a statement that he let a lot of people down with his actions. That much is obvious. The radio comments were bad enough, but the added DUI so soon after is just too much for a school to tolerate, even one as forgiving as his alma mater. In regards to Fitzgerald, he was a rugged linebacker on a Wildcats, Northwestern Wildcats team that was a plucky underdog in the Big Ten, rolling all the way to a surprise Rose Bowl berth in 1996. Though they lost that game to the Keyshawn Johnson-led USC Trojans, the Northwestern squad was hailed as a team that rose from a pitiful doormat to a respectable team who was no longer anyone's homecoming pushover. After graduating, Fitzgerald got into coaching and after stops at Maryland, Colorado, and Idaho, returned to his alma mater in 2001 and worked his way up to being head coach in 2006. Fitzgerald was the winningest head coach in Northwestern Wildcat history, and it's not even close. His 110-101 ledger is far and away the best coaching ledger in school history. Four 10-win seasons that Northwest produced, Fitzgerald either coached or played in all of them. Now, Fitzgerald, like Huggins, was caught up in a scandal at his alma mater. This one was a much more widespread incident involving hazing of freshman players by older players in a sexual manner that I will not recount here. Just know that the allegations were perverse and sickening. I totally understand that teammates bond and that there are ways to initiate players into the brotherhood that is football, but there are ways to do this that are not sexual nor perverse in nature. There are ways that are jocular, silly and immature, but they are not harmful. I don't condone hazing but there are traditions and ways that are carried on their past along that are acceptable. What went on at Northwestern was not that at all. The fact that Fitzgerald knew about such actions and did not put an immediate stop to these, to the, to the hazing or discipline of the uh, players involved, to ignore what happened is an implied tacit agreement, and that in itself should be cause for immediate dismissal. Northwestern first suspended, then dismissed Fitzgerald within three days. Again, Northwestern was put in the unenviable task of having to dismiss a beloved native son for transgressions too ghastly to smooth over. While Fitzgerald, while Fitzgerald quietly left Northwestern, Huggins is trying to fight his dismissal. Alleging that he did not send the resignation, Huggins is looking to launch a protracted fight. This in itself is a sad, sorry spectacle that will have nothing that will do nothing more than tarnish his Hall of Fame status and standing as a beloved figure in the annals of both Cincinnati and West Virginia basketball, where he ranks first and second, respectively, in the school's records for coaching victories. It is this scribe's opinion that Huggins should be like Fitzgerald and fade into the ether and not besmirch his reputation any further with a protracted fight. Both Fitzgerald and Huggins tarnished legacies of fine coaching and went against something that both always preached at, at every coaching stop. Accountability for one's actions. And that is the final word from the wood. Now the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the Hoodwood is just about done, and I thank you so much again for your visit. Now the show's email is kjgreen at sportsofthehoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding 
show topics, both past and future, questions, comments, and both praise and criticism of the show. I welcome your correspondence and we'll try to get back with you in a timely manner. Now, the show's website is sportsandrewbook.com and the back catalog of the show going back 10 years in both audio and video forms. You can check that out if there are any shows that you may have missed or would like to see again. You can join the debate and conversation on the Sports and Good page on Facebook. It also has a video podcast simulcast as well as other topics and stuff you find on the web and plenty of great sports debate. Lots more. Post often and in response to member posts frequently. Video versions are also on YouTube. Please hit that subscribe and smash that like button for more great content. Now the link to this podcast is also on the show's Twitter feed at Hoodwood Sports. It also has a host of other interesting stuff to find there. You can tweet the show and we do tweet back. So you can like and follow there as well. The audio version is on Spotify. Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iTunes from Apple, and a host of other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on your favorite, ask for it. Drop me a line and I will do what I can to get it there. Special thanks as always to Rage Pictures for providing production assistance to both the show and website. That's it for Hoodwood, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Until the next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films Productions.